Welcome to the Post Media Off the Post Hockey Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman in Vancouver, and I'm joined this week by Don Brennan of uh, Senators fame in Ottawa. Don, how are you doing today? Very good, Paul, from snowy Ottawa. <laughs> well, we're still basking in some uh, early winter sunshine out here, um, but the rain is on the way, as it always is on the West Coast. But I wanted to let people know that today we are going to be talking a little bit about the Ottawa Senators, how their season's been so far, um, some of the... I don't know if debacle is too strong a word, but debacle scandal issues that uh, always seem to surround this team or have in the last year. In the second period, we're going to talk a little bit about the differences between the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. We'll look at the Hall of Fame induction and look ahead to who is next up for that. And then in our final segment, we'll talk a little bit about some of the surprises around the league, um, what's happening with teams that maybe are really slipping into trouble and with teams that might struggle to sustain the early season success they've had. So we'll go all the way around the league. But Don, of course, you are from Ottawa. You are well-versed with the Senators. I am struggling to think of a team that has undergone such wholesale turmoil in the last 12 months as the Ottawa Senators from the Carlson stuff, um, obviously the owner's involvement, uh, you know, the trade actually happening, you know, Hoffman leaving town as well. And now, of course, this Uber video and what everyone says, well, this isn't a big deal, but got to imagine it is a big deal. What's it been like covering this team for the last 12 months? Well, it, you've been very busy. That's for one thing. I, um, yeah, <laughs> turmoil is a great way to put it. I, you, you could never imagine something like this happening to a sports franchise. All the stuff, the off-ice stuff especially. But, it, hey, you can look at the on-ice stuff too. This is a team that came within a goal of going to the Eastern or to the Stanley Cup Finals um, in 2016. And for the drop-off that they had the following season, unbelievable, from right to 30th place in the NHL. So, yeah, just everything fell apart. But, yeah, the stealing the headlines, I think, has been uh, all the uh, off-ice stuff. And, you know, when you're talking about a guy like Eric Carlson, who meant so much to this city, um, the true superstar uh, born and raised in the – uh, organization, if you want to put it that way. I mean, drafted here as just a kid and developed into a two-time Norris Trophy winner, the best defenseman in the NHL, uh, most exciting, I think, player in the NHL. Uh, it, for him to be put in a position where he has to make a decision on where he wants to continue, I, I would have thought that the Senators could have found a way to make that work and, and give him an, uh, make him an offer that would keep him in, in Ottawa and, and have him play his entire career in Ottawa. So, yeah, that was the big thing. And, you know, you talk about the um, the cyberbullying that was going on between Mike Hoffman's, uh, or allegedly going on between Mike Hoffman's fiance and Eric Carlson's wife that, you know, you know that one of them had to get traded. And when Mike Hoffman was traded, you thought, okay, maybe there is a chance they're going to be able to, or, or make a full push to keep Eric Carlson. But no, that didn't happen. And, uh, yeah, the, you know, just the, all the stuff. And Eugene Melnick has uh, caused a lot of problems for himself and dating back to December, uh, the game at Par- or the game in Ottawa, the outdoor game, and the alumni game the night before at Parliament Hill when he uh, thinly veiled a threat to move the organization unless support didn't pick up in the, in the, in the city, and it hasn't. Um, in fact, it's gone, especially after the Carlson trade, it's gone the other way. So, so much ha- is happening and uh, we don't know where what's next, but uh, it's always interesting. So go back. I think you raise an excellent point there. The team's literally a goal away from getting to the Stanley Cup. And then the following season, there's this amazing drop. 
Um, obviously, Carlson's health was a big part of that, but that was more than a one-man team. What what really happened to this team? What what that core that was there? Were they maybe playing over their heads to get where they were? I, it's hard to understand how they fell so fast, so far. I think that they were playing over their heads. Yeah, and there there seemed to be different storylines that they would rally around too. There was Craig Anderson's wife who was battling cancer, and uh, you know all all the. The teams rallied around that, rallied around their goalie, knowing what he was going through. They rallied around Mike Condon, who came in and played 27 games in a row as uh, as the starter, um, a, a guy that was a backup, and and uh, you know now he's in the minor leagues, and and he really, without him, they wouldn't have been able to uh, reach the playoffs. Um, I think that there was the Clark MacArthur uh, situation where he was trying to come back from a concussion, and then uh, during training camp. Uh, suffered another head injury and and fought and fought and fought to get back and finally did with four games to to go in the regular season. I think that really propelled them. I I, I think that there was there was a lot of um, just certain rallying points and and they really came together. They played well underneath under the new coach Guy Boucher and uh, you know they weren't crazy about his system. It was a you know the one three one trap that everybody was making fun of, but they had a lot of success with it. They they really uh, played the style that you have to play to win. So all of that, I think, really and you know to get anywhere in the NHL playoffs, you need some luck to get to the Stanley Cup. The best teams in the league need some luck to get down the road as far as they did, and they got a lot of that too. So they they really played above their heads and. At the same time, when they came back the next season, they played probably worse than they, they should have been. If you look at any organization in sports, doesn't matter what, what sport we're talking about, North American sports at least, um, almost universally the top franchises, the ones that have repeated and sustained success, they have a stable ownership structure where not only are there resources available, or, or at the very least there's a model which everyone believes in that you know, depending on the involvement of the owners, some are absentee, some are a little more involved, but the owners that tend to hire the right people and have everyone going on the, in the same direction, knowing what they want as an organization from top to bottom, those are the teams that are successful. Conversely, the ones that seem to be a little bit of an embarrassment uh, are the ones where they seem all over the place or the owner is overstepping his bounds and getting involved in personnel decisions or hockey decisions or just interfering too much in the business. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know Eugene Melnick has been one of the more controversial owners over the last couple of seasons. Where do you see this going for the Senators? Well, Eugene Melnick says he's not selling the team. He's never going anywhere, and I don't know that I believe that. I think that at some point he's going to have to. I'm not sure exactly what he's waiting for, but clearly uh, he does not have the same kind of support that is necessary from the community. I mean... You're seeing the, uh, again, it was last year, but the construction of uh, billboards, Melnick out. People were trying to chase him out of town. And it goes back, I mean, he did a lot of good things when he came in, when he took over this team 15 years ago. And he, you know, he when nobody else was stepping up. And he brought the team under his ownership to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2007. But of late, there's been a lot of things that have gone wrong. And I look I look at Daniel Alfredson getting away from the franchise um, as a free agent to play his last year in Detroit as the start of it. Daniel Alfredson, you you cannot put a, a, a 
price on how important he is to the community, how important he was to the franchise, how beloved he was. I mean, this is Ottawa's true sports hero that they had in Daniel Alfredson. And for him to be able to get away to Detroit, and, and there was a he said, she said stories on how it all happened, and, and there was a mix-up for sure, but it should have never happened. Anyways, he gets away. There's the divorce there, and somehow, I think in large part thanks to Brian Murray, they were able to get Daniel Alverson back, retire his jersey, um, and and then get him in a position uh, with management. He was being groomed to be some position in some position with the team. I believe he was going to be a general manager, but he was going a, a president or general manager. He worked alongside Brian Murray for a whole year, and then. Out of the blue, on July 1st, two July 1sts ago, Daniel Alverson up and left the organization, um, said he wanted to spend more time with his family. You know, he lives in Ottawa, his family's in Ottawa. That didn't fly. Uh, there was something to it, and everybody pointed the finger at Eugene Melnick. Um, there, there was no secret to the feelings between the two, and it, w- it was pinned on Melnick. And I, t- to me, that was the start of the downfall for Eugene Melnick, but... You go again. I refer to the December uh, 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 availability he had at Parliament Hill before the alumni game, and I don't. He, he should have thought it out before. He uh, he wasn't happy with the support, but that was not the place to do it. That was not the way to to talk about. He needed attendance to grow. He just just touched a lot of nerves, I think, in the city, and uh, it. it just seems to have been snowballing ever since. So, Don, go a little inside baseball for this last senator's question. Obviously, the last uh, the last controversy with the team was the Uber video. Now, I don't think any hockey fan believes for a second that players don't complain about coaches when they're you know together in their rooms or out, out doing things socially. So, the fact that it happened, I don't think was a shock to anyone. However, it is embarrassing to have it out there publicly. Um, I don't want to accuse the senators or or Eugene Melnick of taking a page from Donald Trump, but I did think it was funny that they tried to spin it around and blame uh, your well our organization that we work for, Post Media, to try and bully them to take the video down. You know, the video was out; it's there, readily available for everyone to see. Have you suffered any repercussions now as you're trying to cover the team? Uh, I have not yet. Um, Kenny Warren was uh, going with the team to um, to Florida for the two games on the weekend. They played in Tampa on, on Saturday and Florida um, on Sunday, and Kenny was traveling with the team. Now, in Ottawa, since the beginning of time, we've been traveling on the Senators' charter, and I believe we're the only, t- uh, the only root reporters in the league that travel with the team. Um, so they decided... And they waited until Ken Warren showed up at the airport uh, on on the Friday morning. In fact, an hour oh, and a half. that's classy. Yeah, an hour and a half before the, the flight was to leave, they told him that, no, he was being banned from the uh, uh, the uh, charter or that he wouldn't be making the trip. The post-media, we've got the message, is not no longer flying on the senator's charter. And that's fine. Uh, it was an uncomfortable situation to begin with. If you ask me, we should have been off the charter years ago. But this is not the way you conduct a business as a professional organization. You wait until an hour and a half before the guy gets there, knowing full well the decision wasn't made right then. But you allow him to get there and then close the door on him. 
that that doesn't look very good, I don't think. And and it is all over this video. Although I believe there's a lot of things that have built up towards it. I mean, we've called Eugene Melnick out on a few things. We've called the senators out on a few things. And that's your job. And that's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. But I think that it's built and built and built. And they use this one. They, the day of the flight leaving, on the front page of our paper, Kelly Egan had contacted the Uber driver and got his side of the story. And it was a great piece. But I'm sure the senators looked at that and said, you know what, they're not letting this die. We have to take some sort of action. So that's, that's the course that they decide on. We'll see what, what they're going to do next. People are asking me if they're going to revoke our credentials and not let us in the... Uh, let us back in the rink, and I, I have no idea. I can't imagine that they would do that because they would turn this molehill into a mountain if they ever did this. Just that this would become a league-wide story. This would get the uh, involvement, I believe, of the NHL. I think Gary Bettman would step in. I can't imagine they're going to do something like that. But I mean, I couldn't believe that they would also wait 90 minutes before the flight to pull the to pull Kenny's boarding pass either so it's a it's a curious thing the, the thing that I you know they should have let this all die so these guys talked these guys were speaking about one of their coaches on an Uber ride without knowing that they were being filmed and you're right I mean players talk about their coaches just as coaches talk about their players and behind closed door just about as anybody speaks about their bosses i'm sure there's the conversation wasn't that bad for one it looked like these these players were very much concerned with the situation not a good season not the penalty killing has been terrible they were talking about their jobs yeah they made some fun of it but it's they're young young guys and they were again just talking the way a lot of us do so um i didn't think it was that terrible what they said, and they they since came out and they've made public apologies to the assistant coach. Um, I, I I really believe the senators should have let it die, but they've reignited the story by kicking us off the plane, and we'll see what happens next. Couldn't agree with you more, man. I wish we had more time to talk about the senators. This we'll leave this at the end of the first period, then we'll come back. We'll talk about the Hall of Fame and some other stuff around there. We'll bring up Gary Bettman, as you just referenced him. I do want to say, though, uh, Don, before we end this this segment, I have nothing but glowing things to say about my bosses. I never speak ill will towards Bill Pierce, the greatest national sports editor that we have here in Post Media. So we'll leave that there, and we will be back for the second period in a minute. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3, Canada's News Covered. Okay, I'm Paul Chapman here for the Off the Post Hockey Podcast. I'm here with Don Brennan from Ottawa. Um, Don, Hall of Fame inductions this week. Before I ask you your impressions, I have to do a quick commentary here on Gary Bettman, who went into the Hall of Fame on Monday evening. Bill Daly was asked for you know a story about Gary Bettman, and he referenced this story in 2011, the night of the, the Boston Bruins beating the Vancouver Canucks in Game 7. 
And of course, the riots tragically broke out here in Vancouver. And so the city's going crazy. They talk about the need to get out of town quickly because, you know, Gary had been booed mercilessly when he was presenting the trophy to the Bruins, which he always is. Anyway, they get out of town to get away from the, the airports about 40 minutes from, from downtown. They get out to the airport, but they're early. So Bill tells this story about Gary Batman walking into a quote-unquote dive bar called the Flyer Beaver um, and talks about this whole threatening situation, how Gary handled it so, ha- ha- so you know, so much full of class and calm and just like a true professional. Listen, I just want to set the record straight. Anyone who's ever been to the Flying Beaver will say it's one of the nicest places in Vancouver. It's this lovely bar overlooking the Fraser River as it heads out to the ocean. It's where the seaplanes land. Great menu. Lots of sports fans there, yes, but I would hardly call it a dive bar. So I'm just here to set the record straight. I don't think, I'm not saying Gary Bettman isn't brave. I'm just saying he didn't have to face up to the Hells Angels clubhouse when he was escaping the burning downtown of Vancouver. So I did want to set that record straight. On that point, though, for you, Don, you've been around the NHL a long time. What do you think Gary Bettman's legacy is? And are you okay with him going in the Hall of Fame? Well, I think Gary Bettman's done a lot of great things for the NHL. The growth of the league has has really been impressive under him. I mean, the, look at where the teams are, and look at the, it's it's a flourishing industry right now. Um, he's also done some bad things. I, I don't know that there is uh, uh, the three lockouts or work stoppages if Gary Bettman um, isn't in charge. But at the same time, you can say that you know his the end meant met the means I mean he was able to get what he wanted and make both sides happy enough to continue on and for the industry to flourish the problem that I have and I think a lot of people have this problem is why is he inducted into the hall of fame when he's still in position he we can't wait till he retires I don't understand the urgency to get him into the hall of fame now he's still doing the job you don't see players inducted into the as great as some of them are inducted into the hall of fame while they're still playing you don't see builders inducted into the hall of fame while they're still building I don't think anyways I'd have to go back and check that one but I mean no they 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 made Pat Burns wait Right? right until he passed away, they put him in posthumously when everyone knew his record, and the excuse was he'd still been coaching too recently. So you're absolutely so, right. I think it's preposterous. Well, yeah. What was the, what was the hurry to get Gary Bettman in? I I don't get that. So, um, you know, and he, and he could still mess up completely over the next few years. Who knows? He could turn out to be the worst commissioner in NHL history over the next few years. But hey, he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Hold on, we do have we can't forget Gil Stein there. <laughs> who did go in the Hall of Fame and then got removed. That's that's true. That's so the true. precedent's there, I guess, yeah. Yeah. So any, anyways, I just I, I, I'm it's beyond me and I've not heard an explanation as to why they couldn't wait until his time was done in the in the job. Yeah, I think the the one thing uh, for me is if you do look at Batman and and I know he's made the owners money with expansion and obviously Vegas is a huge success. I think Seattle's going to be a big big success too as a, a great natural rival here to Vancouver, but a city that's really ready for it. You know, those Sunbelt franchises, I still look at Florida and wonder how long that's going on or Phoenix. You know, when you've been in a a market for 10 to 20 years and you still are playing in front of less than 10,000 people, I think you have an issue. You've traveled the league. Um, Do you think the Southern Experiment's been a success or not? Well, I mean... You know, you can look at it that way for sure. And and I don't know how they keep afloat, but they must be doing something. They must be getting um, uh, the financing there. They must be getting uh, enough to, to make it work. Uh, yeah, it's embarrassing when you go to Florida and you see you sit in that uh, building and you look around and it's 
the attendance is that of a junior game in Ottawa. Um, I, I, I don't think it's a good look, but you can say the same thing about baseball too. You go to Florida, you go to a Tampa Bay Devil Rays game and there's, and there's nobody there. Um, and you wonder how that's still going. So I think that there's weak links in every league and the, it's a good thing that the stronger teams, stronger franchise franchises are able to, to carry them. Um, I wanted to look forward now a little bit to the Hall of Fame. Famously, there's some people, it, like Dick Duff is the poster boy that everyone always brings up and goes, how is Dick Duff in the Hall of Fame? It doesn't make sense. Lately, I've seen a lot of people picking at Dino Cicerelli and his numbers and suggesting that he he was, he was never a top 10 scorer in the NHL and that his numbers are because he was a product of sort of the bloated firewagon NHL um, era. I, I'm not sure about that. I think going back and it, it's very easy to put current filters on a past situation. But I do know that there are a lot of very good players who are still eligible but have not made the Hall of Fame yet. Um, you know, you've got names like Jeremy Roenick, Theo Fleury, uh, Kevin Lowe, um, Alexander Mogilny seems to be one that, that a lot of people are suggesting he's got to get in at some point. But I do notice that Daniel Alfredson, who, you, you know, you talked about earlier, such a legendary player for the Ottawa Senators, he's got to be a slam dunk to get in, doesn't he? Well, I don't know about that. And, you know, you know, the first name you mentioned, Jeremy Roenick, you would think that he would have been a slam dunk to get in. I, here's, a, here's a guy, he's 1,463 points in 1,363 games. I mean, he was an exceptional player. I wonder if somehow he's being left out because he was a controversial figure. Um, if, if somehow that's weighing against him. A guy like Daniel Alverson, that will not weigh against him. He was very respected around the league. Um, and, and he did a lot. He had, had a lot of accomplishments on the ice. Uh, I just don't know if the numbers are quite there. I don't know if they're going to be good enough for him and, at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, at the same time, his reputation could help carry him. So I think it's – I don't think a slam dunk. I think it's a, maybe a 50-50 type deal. But obviously all of us that have had an opportunity to work with him over the years, I mean, you have to like the guy. He's very easy to work with, very open and upfront and, and very accommodating and a real class act. So you cheer for guys like that. I hope Daniel Offerson gets in. Yeah, so do I. It, it, the, the criteria for, I mean, the criteria to get in any sports hall of fame seems to float around. And, and I mean, the NFL has been pretty clear. We don't care about off-field stuff. Uh, hello, O.J. Simpson and, and Lawrence Taylor, who have been allowed to stay in despite, you know, repeated transgressions, obviously. Um, other sports like baseball tend to really take into account how surly or nasty someone was. But when you base it just on the numbers, a guy who's coming up uh, next year really intrigues me is Vincent LeCavalier because, you know, he was first overall pick, won a Stanley Cup. And to me, he really was one of the top three players in the game, but for a very short period. After they won their cup in Tampa, he drifted into a really long period of disappointment, really. So I'm really curious as to if a guy like LeCavalier is going to get in on a shorter period of brilliance than, say, a, a broader body of work. Yeah, I, I, a guy like him, I don't, I don't even see how he has the chance. You're right, he had the short period there in which he was very good. But, I mean, over his career, he had one 100-point season, one 50-goal season um there was nothing really uh outstanding about anything that he did i he was solid and and yeah he tapered off towards the end of his career i i don't i don't think that vincent lecavalier will get in in my opinion but we'll have to see how that one goes 
I think those debates are always fun, though. It's what makes sports fun. We're going to end. We're going to sorry, Don. We're going to end the second period there. We'll be right back with the third period, where we're going to talk about some of the surprises and some of the disappointments around the league. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of Ten Three Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3 Canada's News Covered. All right, welcome back to the third period of the Off the Post Hockey Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Don Brennan. Don, I just wanted to run through some teams um, with you and just wanted to ask you, which which of these teams do you think has a, the best chance to escape the bottom of the NHL? If you're looking at teams like LA, Vegas, St. Louis, Florida, and Chicago, um, obviously teams like Chicago and LA are, we're thinking historically maybe two, three years ago, LA's already made the coaching change, the very bottom of the NHL. Vegas, though, as we know last year, amazing story, made the uh, Stanley Cup final. St. Louis, a lot of teams were picking this year to be one of the dark horse contenders. And same thing with Florida. A lot of people thought Florida would make some real gains in the East. We're not at the mythical American Thanksgiving line where everyone says, well, that's kind of when you know whether your team's just been lucky or, you know, unfortunate. But do any of those teams to you have a chance to turn it around and get back to where people thought they'd be? Well, I think that Vegas is right where a lot of people thought they'd be after this just a Cinderella-type run last year. Um, it was going to be difficult for them to come anywhere close to duplicating that, I think. And a lot of that, I believe, is human nature. You don't, want, you don't think it's easy, but maybe you forget a little bit about how much went your way in order to get to where you got. Um, I, I think that Vegas will miss the playoffs a lot. L.A. has had the, the goaltending problems, and it's an old team. It's a bad team. Uh, LA's right where I thought they'd be. I figured that St. Louis Blues would, would, would be a would be a better team. I really like the uh, the addition of Ryan O'Reilly, and I and I think that they had a lot of good pieces in place there. They had a solid defense. I I think that they're going to still turn it around and, and have a a run at a playoff spot. Um, if you look over at the East, I'm surprised that the New Jersey Devils are where they are. I looked at them as being a a, a real strong team this season and this could be a product of a bad start because I see the pieces are still there. Florida started abroad and they are playing a little bit of catch up. They seem to have their act together now. They've won uh, four games in a row as we speak. Detroit, which is coming into Ottawa on Thursday, they've won three games in a row. I thought Detroit was the worst team in the NHL coming into the season, but uh, they seem to have a little bit of something going. How long they'll be able to maintain that, uh, it's anyone's guess, but um, out of the teams that are currently, I mean, you look at a team like Washington is out of the playoffs right now. Uh, Pittsburgh is out of the playoffs. I believe those teams are going to be there at the end. They just have too much power. They have too too much talent to to miss the playoffs. And in in the West, um, again, I, I don't see Chicago uh, going anywhere. It's a rebuilding type type of a program right now, but. Uh, out of the playoffs, you have uh, St. Louis. I, I really think that St. Louis has a shot. I'm very impressed with what Arizona is doing. It looks like they're finally coming to life. It looks like they're finally, uh, you know, learning. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure how they're doing it under Rick Tockett. I don't think Rick Tockett's a great coach. But, uh, you know, they're, they're putting some pieces together and they're, and they're winning some games. Um, I, I still think that St. Louis 
and you see Edmonton out of the playoffs right now, I, I can see Edmonton being there at the end of the season. So I know at the top of the standings, a lot of people were picking Nashville, Tampa, and Toronto to be in the mix, and they all are. They're all there. Um, you know, the Leafs obviously an amazingly, scorchingly hot start, cooled down a little bit with some injury problems. But as you were saying about, uh, you know, some of these other teams, when you like Pittsburgh and Washington, when you see the quality that's there, you can only believe that, you know, it, they're going to pick it up again once they get healthy. I do look at a few other teams, though, Vancouver being chief among them, Vancouver, Calgary, Columbus, who... I know they had a good regular season, but people were looking at that team having a bit of a drop-off. Are there any teams at the top of the standings that you think are playing artificially high and will come back to earth? Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I think the Vancouver Canucks are a little bit ahead of their time right now. I, I didn't have them making the playoffs. I don't think anybody in Vancouver did either this year. So, um, yeah, that, that would be one of them for sure. Uh, San Jose, I figured that, you know, with the addition of an Eric Carlson, I think a lot of people pick San Jose to, to win the Stanley Cup. And I know that's just crazy talk when you're uh, looking at, at preseason and making prognostications then because there's so much, again, that can happen. You need so much luck and you need to stay healthy. But uh, I, I believe that San Jose is going to, to remain there and challenge. In terms of teams, though, that are going to fall out of it, uh, in, in the West, no, other than Vancouver, I, I don't really see anybody. Um, in, the, in the East... It's uh, the Rangers are, are way further ahead than anybody thought they would be right now. I thought that the Rangers were rebuilding, that this would be a real down season for them, but they're finding a way to get you know some wins and 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 get it happening. Um, Montreal Canadiens are an, another you know surprising story right there, and they're getting Shea Weber back soon. Uh, Carey Price hasn't been as good as Carey Price can be, and we expect carry Bryce to be again so I'm surprised that they've been able to to you know stay afloat where Kerry Price hasn't yet been at his uh all-star best the Buffalo Sabres uh, I I thought Buffalo Sabres would challenge for a playoff spot this year and and so far they are they've got a lot of good young pieces there the question mark to me going in was the goaltending and but Carter Hutton has has played well enough He's carried over from St. Louis what he what he had been um, doing. So, you know, Buffalo, I, I don't expect them to fall. At least I expect that they will con- they will be a contender um, into into April anyways for, for a playoff spot, which will be a nice pleasant surprise after uh, all these seasons of watching them get their get, you know, wiped out early. All right, last point here. I'm going to play on this East-West thing. And I'm going to do this because I'll be parochial. In Vancouver, the Habs are here this weekend and the game's at 4 o'clock. Now, it's more so when they do this for the Leafs. People in Vancouver get really wound up. Personally, I like the idea of going to a game at 4 o'clock. Then you have your night free to go do whatever you want downtown. We've got the Rogers Arena. It's right downtown. Lots of great stuff going on. But people get so angry out here at the... East Coast bias. And that plays into things for like award voting where they claim all the writers in the East don't stay up and have no idea what's going on out in the West. Tell me the truth, Don. How much do you know about teams that play in the West? Zero. No, no, I'm kidding. I, <laughs> but, but, I, but I don't, you know, especially if you're, in my, in my instance, you're, you're covering the Ottawa Senators. And if it's a, you know, a 7 o'clock game, you're at the rink at 10 in the morning the morning skate, you're getting stuff uh, for pregame stories, and, and you're there all day. And by the time um, 
the, the, the game is over and you've written your story, your column, and maybe a post-game column, and it's very late, you may want to go and have a beer, and you're going to watch the game on, on TV, but you're not going to pay a lot of uh, attention to it. I'm not taking notes, let me tell you that. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think there is something to that. I, I think that, uh, the you know, at the risk of sounding old, sometimes you just don't <laughs> want to stay up that late. I mean... I'm a night owl, so I do. But again, I'm not paying as much attention as I should. I, I tend to notice the uh, West Coast teams a lot more when they're playing on the in the East. <laughs> well, one of the things there, Don, is I, I we went through a period of you know when you did have Chicago and LA dominating things, where the West was a much stronger conference. But I look at it now, and I, you know we've seen Pittsburgh and Washington win the last handful of Stanley Cups, and then you look at the teams that are coming up. I mean, obviously. People are hoping Winnipeg get back to where they were. Nashville, I think, look like they have some real determination this year. But it is looking like Tampa, you know, Toronto. Um, there's a lot of strength still in the East. It looks to me like the stronger conference of the two. Well, I think so too. And, and um, yeah, Tampa, you know, they seem to have everything. Um, I, I think that uh, you want to throw in a team like the Boston Bruins too. They, uh, t- to me, they are as good – as anybody in the East. So I expect that, uh, that they'll be part of the mix. Um, a lot of people in Ottawa just despise the thought of the Toronto Maple Leafs having any success, but it's such a fun team to watch. I, I, I'm really hoping that they can, you know, after all those years of futility, I'm hoping that they can make things exciting for the people in Toronto and the people in Canada. Hey, there's so many Toronto Maple Leaf fans in Canada and you cover a game in Calgary or you cover a game in Edmonton or you cover a game in Vancouver and you see the Toronto Maple Leaf jerseys there when the Leafs are in town. So uh, I think that everybody in the country would, you know, not everybody would admit it, but I think everybody would like to see some sort of excitement coming out of Toronto this year. And I think that this, there will be. Well, the only thing I'll say about that is it gives you a rooting interest against them. I got to say one of the most fun, <laughs> One of the most fun games in the playoffs that I've seen since the Canucks were in the Stanley Cup final was when they collapsed in Game 7 against the Bruins. So I agree with you. If the Leafs are relevant, it's better, but it's better for me because then it, it's more fun to see them lose. Sure. Don, I want to thank you for joining me this week. Uh, we've run out of time here, but I want to remind everyone that you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating if you like it. You can download this every week, subscribe, stream. Uh, we have Canada's best hockey writers on, like Don, every week. So, Don, thanks for your time. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Paul.